you guys signed a deal with the devil with UK Defense Journal, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the OSINT Bunker podcast in collaboration with the UK Defense Journal. Joining me is Jordan from Intel Air and Sea, John from Defense Geek, and Tom from Sierra Alpha. And this week, we're going to have a few things we're going to talk about, um, but we're mainly going to focus on the events from the past couple of weeks from the Middle East. Um, we have a few topics we wanted to get into, um, specifically regarding tensions that have arisen, um, certain Iranian actions against U.S. forces, Israeli forces, and the Saudis in the region. And to kick that off, I think we'll start talking about um, an event I briefly addressed last week in the weekly update, but um, the rocket attack on the U.S. forces and NATO forces at Erbil Air Base. So uh, who wanted to kick us off on that one? Yep, sure. I don't mind. So... <clears throat> Um, herbal attack was actually quite a while ago in reference to what we're you know talking about this week, 15th of February. And then, as you say, it was something in which you, you touched on last week. Um, it was, wasn't was really your bog standard issue attack, was it? It was 14 107mm uh, uh, rockets were launched from an area south of Erbil, um, of Erbil near the border with Kirkuk. And uh, unfortunately, three of them struck the airport. Uh, which hosts U.S. and coalition forces. Uh, the attack resulted in five uh, contractors being injured, uh, one United States serviceman and two Iraqi civilians. And unfortunately, the attack resulted in one, um, I believe it was a, a U.S.-led coalition contractor, a Filipino firefighter, I believe, and one civilian died of their injury. Um <clears throat> Obviously, there were circulating. It was quite, it was quite a publicised assault. I think we'll attach. That's all right in the description of the video. We'll we'll put them. the rocket impact the Mercedes dealership, which were quite, I wouldn't say graphic, but quite vivid. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely say that. Um, it obviously was. Um, it wasn't a small attack. Um, and and it wasn't also that accurate, actually. Um, when when you get down to the brass tacks, it 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 it, it more affected civilian targets than than anyone on the airbase. And I think it was to an extent it was for the militias to see how far they are going to be able to push the United States before getting some form of response from them, testing the testing a new administration, saying right, okay, this is how far we can go without getting a response. Now let's see what will cause something. Yeah, and, and this is this is what we're going to do, you know, see what you're going to do to respond. And, you know, the fact that it was it was 14 rockets, I mean, usually when we discuss militia rocket attacks, we're talking about, you know, two, three, maybe four, five at a stretch. Yeah. This one, this one's 14. You know, for us to be discussing quite an amount for what we've seen in the past, I think that really, I think the attack really, as John pointed out there, how far was the US willing to go before they respond. Yeah, and and looking at it um, from sort of uh, the perspective of the U.S. in the situation, you always have to look at um, at what level of damage was done both to civilian targets and to military targets. And I think um, they were obviously trying to tra test the new administration. That was a big one. 
and trying to see what the response would be to an attack like that. Yeah, and it's important to note that actually it wasn't just the Americans that were, were targeted. Ironically, the Chinese consulate was also hit. Uh, oh, yeah, so it seemed to get yeah. its outside wall got smashed. Yeah, <clears throat> which, yeah, it took a chunk off a concrete wall uh, on the perimeter uh, and landed in the basically the back garden of the Chinese consulate. Yeah, and based on the Iranian backing uh, or the Chinese backing of Iran, I'm I'm sure the Chinese government was not very happy um, with that outcome, which I I guess um, when when it comes down to it, um, obviously there are always unintended consequences in foreign policy, especially when backing groups like you know Iranian-backed um, uh, Iraqi militias, and, and there's no way to get an exact outcome that you want from them. Yeah. It's quite, at the end of the day, it, what we've seen, it's quite a random, it's almost a random process. There's, it's more, it's not precision munitions we're looking at. It's, it's a more, you know, I know, it sounds comical, but it's a light fuse and the hope that it gets to its target. And unfortunately, around 75%, 80% of the time, they don't. They, they affect the infrastructure, cars, buildings, car dealerships, even, even foreign consulates, as we've seen. Yeah, and that, that always, you, you always see the general response from that um, being both from the Iraqi government because they have to handle, of course, the civilian impacts, um, even if they aren't directly stationed on the base, um, because again, they, they are the government there. And also you have to see what the regional Kurdish government is doing, and obviously they are not friendly, um, or not, not the friendliest to the Iraqi government and the way they've been managing um, a lot of the events happening more down south. Um, and so you sort of have to, to rely on what their response is going to be as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think that leads us quite nicely on to actually how the uh, US did respond um, <clears throat> to the attack, uh, which were I believe, total of seven joint direct attack munitions, which is JDAMs, uh, were launched from two F-15 uh, Eagles and uh, struck a compound in northern Syria, which was reportedly or confirmed to have been operated by uh, Iraqi Hezbollah. Uh, the attack resulted in, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a single casualty. Uh, I believe there was more than one casualty. Um, we, we aren't exactly sure um, of the casualty count as of right now, um, just because information is sort of sparse coming from um, the groups that would that were hit, which were uh, Hezbollah-affiliated groups operating out of the Syrian border town of Al-Bukhamal, um, which is where they were hit. Um, they have only directly confirmed, as of time of recording, one death. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and um, if any additional come out, I'll obviously add that in um, as a footnote. Um, yeah, it's worth noting that obviously um, local sources are reporting that seven, upwards of 17 were killed and not one. Yeah, so so um, we don't really know right now, which is really a side effect of, um, of information in, in that region. Um, the Syrian-Iraqi border region is still plagued by ISIS attacks and um, it's... Lawless isn't exactly the most accurate term because um, 
there is a modicum of several governments controlling that area, um, and then also U.S. influence in that region. Um, but it definitely isn't the most uh, easy region to get information out of. Um, and obviously, militia groups thrive there, as well as ISIS still has a presence in the area, as I, as I said earlier. Um, which, again, the U.S. striking that area is sort of... Um, is definitely a development in not the strike itself, um, because the U.S. has struck, of course, ISIS targets there and um, and and other ISIS-affiliated groups inside of Syria in that general region. Um, but this is this is the one of the first few times we've actually targeted um, an Iranian-affiliated um, militia like Hezbollah or Khatib Hezbollah inside um, Syria in, in direct response to an attack that a similar militia made inside of um, inside of Iraq. <clears throat> yeah, and it's, it's worth noting as well that um, the Washington Post uh, reported that, I believe it was Post anyway, reported that um, President Biden actually authorized a strike on uh, not one but two targets however, called off the uh, strike on a second target as there was a risk that civilians were at risk. Yes, and um, depending on, you know, how much that actually ends up being propaganda, which it, it might be, um, I don't know at this point. Um, of course, every presidential administration likes putting their best face forward, and if it, if it looks, you know, um, better on, on paper that they declined to strike because... Um, uh, it, you know, there were a bunch of women and children at the target. I, I would obviously expect them to publicize that. Um, but I believe this also happened during the Trump administration as well, during one of his early strikes that he ended up uh, he ended up calling off a strike because of the presence of um, civilians. And, and so, of course, this isn't exactly an unusual circumstance to see from coming out of the uh, Oval Office. Mm. And it's, it's interesting as well to note while we're, we're on the topic, the response from America was not exactly immediate. Um, we had the statement issued by the State Department came about 12 to 24 hours after the, uh, the attack on, on the uh, base. Um, and then the actual airstrikes didn't occur until, what, near enough a week later. It was, it was a few days later, um, but it they're definitely... Ten, it was 10 days later. There, there definitely the, uh, was there was a delay um, between the actual attack and the um, the response airstrikes. Yeah, so the the, the gap uh, between the strike um, the attack and the airstrikes was was um, uh, ten days. Ten days was that, which is actually you know that's quite that's quite a long time considering. Yes, uh, but the U.S. did say that the attack that the airstrikes were in response to the attacks on U.S. forces in Erbil and um, civilian targets as well. Um, yeah. So it, it, this this wasn't an unrelated event that we're of course describing relation to. This is something that the U.S. did say was in direct relation. Um, yeah, and then the material of attack, of course, um, no no cruise missiles, nothing fancy, just. Um, JDAM strikes, which are, are fairly standard for the region, just um, with uh, the anti-ISIS efforts that have been going on. That is that is the munition of choice. Um, that and Hellfires. Um, so so it was very interesting to see a strike like that. Yeah, it's, it certainly was. And 
obviously the first time that we've seen the Biden administration take action against um, the threats threats in Iraq and Iraq and Syria, which, to be honest, is reassuring. I'm going to say it's reassuring because it's it says quite a lot that it didn't take a mass event for the US to respond and that they are willing to go to, you know, defend it, its its assets and itself, its allies without Yeah, additionally this this was a statement strike. Um yeah. I, I mean yeah, exactly. the the group that was hit obviously was not the same group or the same cell that conducted the attack. Um this was more of a statement, of course, against Iran, because these are both Iranian-backed groups. They are both very closely related with Iran. Um, the group that was struck does have um, very significant political um, uh, influence in Iraq. Um, uh, they, they run for Iraqi government positions. Um, they recruited a heck of a lot of people um, to fight in Syria against ISIS. Um, I'll post the name of the group. I'm not going to attempt it because, as I said last week, I, I'm impossible at enunciating any of these names. Um, and I, it would almost be disrespectful for me to try. Um, but they are effectively a, a, a Hezbollah um, cutout group. Um, and, and that is definitely reflected in the strikes that this was more targeting Iran than the exact group that conducted the strike itself. So, moving on... Um... Osin, you wanted to discuss the presence of uh, river joints in the area. Yes, uh, constant phoenixes, actually. Um, our, our old but effective WC-135 um, Ws that we actually sent to the region back on... Let me just double-check the date here. The 26th of February um, took off out of the United States, flew across the Atlantic, did a refueling stop um, over the UK, and then went down through um, the Mediterranean and into what we believe was either um, Qatar or the UAE. Um, that's where we believe it's operating out of. There's also a chance it's operating out of Kuwait um, based on an earlier... Um, it, it, it pinged a few times at times at low level over Kuwait, which leads us to think it probably is operating out of there for the moment. Um, that was on March 1st. Um, it pinged a few times taking off out of uh, Kuwait. It'll be up on the screen there. Um, but definitely an interesting um, development as the WC-135, its main role is to basically collect air samples process them and detect uh, potentially radioactive isotopes that would come out of various nuclear tests or uh, nuclear explosions. Um, it, it's a, it's a multi-use aircraft um, in those, in those cases. We've used it um, for North Korean nuclear tests, even though they're below ground, it still emits some radioactive material into the atmosphere. Um, they were worked very hard um, during the nuclear test ban times. Um, which they, they basically just existed to make sure that the Soviet Union was not actually doing above-ground tests. Um, it, its potential existence in the region is certainly interesting on a strategical scale, or strategic scale, what was that word? Um, because it definitely either 
insinuates that the Iranians may try something of a nuclear variety, um, whether that be a test or potentially they have emitted some nuclear material into the atmosphere, um, or it is training and the U.S. feels like in the near future or the mid to near future, the Iranians may try a nuclear test, which which obviously is is the status quo right now. We do expect the Iranians, unless there is some sort of comprehensive agreement reached, to test a nuclear weapon. Um, and and at that point, um, it, really, I just have to hand it up, guys off to you guys. I'm um, just to get an idea of what you think on this, because I I obviously have some thoughts that I have tweeted about, but I won't even say on the podcast because they are. You know, tinfoil on head, um, slightly crazy. Um, but I'll just I'll just hand it off to you guys. Just think for what my opinion on the matter is, is that it could be seen as just a it's just a deterrent factor to it that visibly having the presence of something that can that can detect these type of activities in the region could be enough to say, well, if you do fancy trying anything, we're gonna find out and we're gonna have proof of it. So don't do it in the first place. And and I did gloss over that. Um, that that would be another aspect of the training would be, you know, it, just showing Iran. We have this in the region. If you test, we will know. I think the, the the deterrent factor as well. And obviously, I'm not too familiar with the actual workings of the particular air, particular aircraft. This is not my area of knowledge. But do, could it not have something to do with just monitoring their normal nuclear facilities? Um, normal nuclear facilities would not be. If, if they are admitting things that could be detected by this aircraft, it would be it would be very, very, very wrong because that means right. you would have a, I mean, you would basically be looking at like a three mile island level of um, right. nuclear emissions. So it would obviously if they were emitting something that could be detected by this aircraft, it would not be good. And like you said, obviously the, the aircraft's been used um, quite keenly throughout Trump's administration with dealing with North Korea. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the, the amount of activity from, from the aircraft that was deployed there has sort of tailed off a little bit in recent months. They are still occasionally flying over North Korea, but not nearly as much as they were at the height of negotiations. One was flying over the um, Yellow Sea earlier in the yeah, week as there well. There was an RC-135 that's been doing um, fairly regular excursions into the Yellow Sea over the past few months, actually. Mm. Um, it hasn't even been that unusual at this point to see it um, up and, and in that area. So uh, obviously that may be another deterrent factor from the uh, new administration. Yeah, and obviously it shows, because with North Korea, you know, they are keeping up those patrols. But the fact that we're now seeing Iran getting that sort of almost same level of attention should kind of indicate really just how serious the state of Iran's nuclear weapons program has gotten, that they are at the point where the US administration recognises that, like North Korea, we could very well see nuclear tests in the very near future, as you said. Yeah, and, and the aircraft has been in the region before, um, monitoring, uh, of course, uh, Iranian activity and, and also as a, as a training um, tool. And of course, again, as a deterrence, just telling Iran, if you attempt to test anything, we will immediately know about it. 
Um, so, so there definitely is that element to to the aircraft being in the region. And and is anyone going to touch on my my pants on head conspiracy theories about this, or or, or are we just going to skip ahead? <laughs> I think move on to the next topic. <laughs> okay, tweet conspiracy tweet linked below. Um. So next up, we were gonna talk about um uh the Russian um reveal that they had utilized an Iskander um missile to strike a Syrian hospital um back in 2016, and they released a fairly high quality video um of a hospital being hit and an attack which had been blamed on other groups. It honestly baffles me why they would just on on a human level it baffles me there is no strategic gain or moral gain behind it it's like almost bragging moving it around and saying you know yay we bombed the hospital and check this i mean the the new york times uh did a fairly uh comprehensive piece um basically showing that the russians had been targeting hospitals from about 2017 with with conventional munitions from jets um and they they did a lot of osint work geolocation um have to have to honestly give the new york times a massive hand for the extreme quality of work they put out um in the osint field um honestly they're they're one of the best professionally publicly publishing sources that you can get um they publish infrequently but when they do it's usually on something big and um to this effect they did reveal that the russians had been bombing hospitals um but this Iskander strike was from February of 2016. Um, the New York Times had only established that the Russians were striking hospitals from 2017 uh, till now. And, and this is definitely an establishment that they had started that trend far earlier um, than we thought. You're right. And if I'm completely honest, the word sickening is to mind. And that is... Yeah, and I think I think that honestly the most baffling part from all of this was the fact that the video was initially supposed to be extolling the virtues and the effectiveness of the Iskander missile, and it just happened to include a video of them striking a civilian hospital, which is just it, it's it's so confusing. Either they didn't check the video, which is just a failure in a lot of different ways. Or the second option is that they knew what the video was and they still decided to release it and they just don't care. I think the second option is probably the most likely option. Like, they don't care because no one's done anything about it before and, to be honest, no one seems to be going to do anything about it since. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, they're, they're, of course, it comes back to the, the original question of, you know, why are the Russians in Syria? What are they doing in Syria? And... It almost seems at this point like Syria is Russia's, you know, play war ground where they they basically just get to, you know, test out weapon systems and spend a bit of money to keep Assad in power. And and just it's both a geopolitical move in the region, obviously, to have a foothold in the Middle East. But it also definitely seems to be just a testing ground for their weapons at at some level. I mean, they sent an Su-57 there. just uh, a couple of years ago, actually two years before it entered service. So it's it's just, it, it's very interesting. And it's, 
it, it's almost confusing to a point of of just you know how brazen they are in their you know flagrant violations of human rights absolutely nothing will happen because proof in chaotic war zones such as Syria is so hard to come by sorts of things information is so twisted and warped that you know they feel that they can get away with it yeah but as 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 we've seen very very clearly pictures don't lie and um these these pictures are are very clear in in what they show and and I don't think people can claim manipulation of them because I mean they they were released by the Russian government. I mean it it, it came directly from the Russians. Yeah, and that, and that's exactly it's it's undeniable. Yeah, I, I it's something that's been geolocated at this point, and there's there's only so much hand wringing we can do, obviously, and and you know there's only so much we can say because the international community obviously seems you know hell bent on doing nothing. And it just, it, it seems like the entire world is sort of annoying these, you know, flagrant violations. Mm. It, it's, it's worth noting as well, because obviously back in 2016, 2017, there were so many different incidents in Syria where the UN got involved and issued statements and condemning things. And then you had the, the US, the UK and France uh, carrying out joint strikes in response to a number of different things. And yet now, all these years later, obviously this revelation from the Russians, and there's been near enough nothing has been said, I think it's fair to say, by the UN um, and by most of the nations who were very, very vocal a few years ago. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't, you know, obviously this is depressing in a lot of different ways. Um, we we just haven't seen any movement on this Um and if if I risk becoming more depressed on this, I, I don't actually expect anything to happen in the near future just because Russia's position is so entrenched in Syria at this point, and Assad has pretty much effectively, apart from losing a good portion of his country, um, he still controls most of the populated regions and, you know, most of the wealthier regions, and, and just there's no way his government is actually going to collapse anytime soon. And I expect him to stay in power for a while, to be honest. I think you're right. There's, there's no realistic way of seeing him going anywhere for a long, long time. Maybe when he passes away, there'll, there'll be arguments over successes in people fighting and kicking off then. But for the foreseeable future, there's, there's nothing going to happen to him. Yeah. And, and if he dies, you know, if the Russians leave and then he dies, I, I do expect there to be a power vacuum. If the Russians are still there, though, um, obviously whoever becomes his successor will be appointed by the Russians or will be anointed at least um, in in the way that they they will have you know blessed them to become the next president of Syria, and um, you know it's it's just sort of depressing to see that, and you know there there will be no change in the near future. Yeah. It's just honest. depressing. Yeah, that's really it, isn't it? Um, yeah, and uh, I think we'll uh, move on to the next topic, uh, shall we? Yeah, that 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 sort of puts a, uh, a a a not great note moving into the next topic. Um, yeah, which uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that one. Um, but you know, be done. 
you know, has to be, has to be people have to be made. Yeah, it. We're obviously we've we've passed the point of being pissed and we're just depressed. So moving on to the next topic, um, MV Helios Ray, um, an Israeli uh, car carrier, was hit by what we first thought was an unknown explosion back on um, February 25th. Um, uh, it was widely publicized um, about 18 hours after it happened. Um, once main stream news sources actually started um, actually really getting attention to it. Um, once it, once everyone realized it wasn't an unexplained explosion, but a, um, a, a purposeful explosion. So if you guys want to talk to that. Well, when it first when it first got happened, it was the Israeli media report after obviously the incident of it came out. It was a few days afterwards. The Israeli media reported originally it being missiles that had been hit by, but if you yeah. looked at the if you looked at the ship and where the actual explosion occurred, it was basically right on the waterline of the vessel. Yeah, I had um um come up with a, a schematic from a, albeit smaller but similar ship in its layout design decks. Um, and if you saw, um, it was clear in the pictures of the missile impact that it was deck four that had been hit. And if you look at designs from similar ships, deck four would be right around the waterline of the ship, um, which indicated it could have been something that would have been planted by a small craft um, while it was transiting through the Strait of Hormuz. And the Iranians are known for utilizing small craft to plant limpet mines and cause general issues. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. Israeli media was quite quick to uh, point fingers towards Iran. Um, like you say, initially the, the accusation was that it was a couple of anti-ship uh, missiles that had been fired. Um, then we had the possibility of, of limpet mines um, or sea, just normal sea mines. Um, and I think once the Israeli Defense Forces finally made a statement about what was going on, and said that there would be further investigation. I think I think the media kind of calmed down a little bit, um, and we haven't. I, don't, I, I certainly haven't seen an awful lot uh, of an explanation further into it since. Yeah, There's been very, um, little, very little said about it since. I think you're probably going to hear more when the Israeli government come to a come to an official conclusion and publish that. You'll probably hear some more then. Yeah. We, we thought initially that the Israeli government had come to a very quick conclusion. They were directly blaming Iran. Netanyahu um, issued a statement that was very uh, uh, strong. Um, uh, the attack on Helios Ray is indeed an action by Iran. It is clear it is Israel's greatest enemy and we will be beating it in the whole region. The Iranians will not have nuclear weapons with or without an agreement. I also said this to my friend Biden. So we all thought right after the attack... Um, that the Israelis were being very concrete in their assessment over what it was, and then it sort of just trailed off. Um, there wasn't exactly much concrete response from what we could see publicly. Yeah, agreed. And I think when it comes to this, we have to assume quite a lot going on behind the scenes. Yeah, um, and it was indicated by the fact that um, that that Biden um, and Netanyahu, obviously from Netanyahu's statement, it indicated that they had spoken about it. Um, which which certainly uh, was interesting. Yeah. So, as I was saying, you know, at the end of the day, if it was anti, have known about it, um, it would have done a hell of a lot more damage than. Was 
Oh, oh, obviously. Um, and and we we had all thought that initially was the the assessment of anti ship missile was probably a bit um incorrect because most anti ship missiles would have torn a hole through one side of the ship and out the other. Um, it 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 would have been very hard for the ship to have sustained that little damage. I mean, there there are fairly clear images and and videos of warships. Um, struck by fairly small anti-ship missiles of, of literally the, the missile going through one side and out the other, and I'm, I'm very sure that would not have been hard with a car carrier. Yeah, because it's quite a hollow object, really, isn't it? It's not like a bulk carrier where you've got metal upon layers of metal. No, this, this would have gone... Internal pieces. Yeah, it would have gone yeah. straight through, no doubt. And and the the impact size of the hole was just was tiny. And I mean, anti ship missiles are made to take down ships. Um, limpet mines incorrectly placed are are more likely to do small amounts of damage than than actually take down a ship. A limpet mine correctly deployed can take down a ship, obviously, because it's much harder for an anti ship missile to hit below the waterline than a limpet mine to be placed below the waterline, which is an indication, obviously. The Iranians, if they were moving quickly at night, they weren't going to deploy divers to deploy an anti-ship missile below the, or a, um, a limpet mine below the waterline. They just stuck it to the side of the ship and ran. Um, and Which we've seen before. We, we have seen that before with other ships. And um, generally, it is hard for a ship of that size. Um, you can see the visibility fairly clearly when looking at the ship. The visibility isn't great. Um, and and so you you... They definitely have issues, especially at night, seeing smaller vessels. Um, and a small vessel, it wouldn't be that easy for it to show up on something like navigation surface search radar um, that, you know, commercial varieties. It, it might have been picked up by something like, you know, a, a military grade, you know, your standard spy surface search radars on, on the U.S. Aegis platform. Um, but it wouldn't have been picked up by, by just a marine grade radar. Yeah, def definitely. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that over the next few days, I'd imagine. Yeah, once once the Israeli assessment comes out, um, of course, once the crew is interviewed, we'll we'll have a better idea of what happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one hundred percent. It'll be interesting to know. Obviously, yeah, it goes without saying that we'll know what the uh, outcome will be of that investigation. I'm sure. Um. So, hopefully we know what the outcome of the investigation is um yeah yeah just because you know honest, i should imagine we will i i would more say 50 50 at this point um there there is yeah. a chance that we could see an outcome to the investigation um but there also is a chance that the israelis could keep it more covert um depending on what the outcome of the investigation is of course so with that, Jordan, do you want to uh, take us through the ongoing uh, B-52 movement? Yes. So it was uh, it was once again there was an it was yesterday and obviously today as they head back another global power mission for the B-52s out of Minot Air Force Base to the Persian Gulf and back again. This is the second global power global power um, flight under Biden's administration. And it pretty much follows the standard procedure of what they all they all do. A quick jaunt over the over the Atlantic, and a bit of ex and some 
and bit of exercises in formation flights with the likes of the Saudis and the Israelis on their way. And obviously, obviously we saw a lot of them under Trump towards the end of it, especially towards the end of his presidency, as tensions went up with Iran. But obviously tensions are still there with Iran at the minute, but particularly with Biden, obviously they're sent, but it's just more message sending and just muscle flexing. Yeah, it definitely does seem to be a fairly direct carryover from the end of the Trump presidency. Toward, I mean, probably the last year of the Trump presidency had a lot of those um, long-range B-52 exercises um, that we saw. And, and it seems like the Biden administration has pretty much carried them out identically to the way they were carried out under the Trump administration. Um, so that was, that was definitely a carryover. And and it, it you know it, it sends a message. Obviously, the U.S. It, is it, able it, to project force. It it keeps the it keeps the presence there. And also, I mean, it it, it offers a diplomatic sense of a diplomatic diplomatic element to it. As in, you can go and fly formations to, with other countries to say, look, where allies will fly, we'll sit, we'll do formation flights and we'll escort your bombers over our country. Nothing nothing says diplomacy like uh, forty eight Tomahawk cruise missiles. <laughs> That that's 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 a that that's always a great form of uh, diplomacy. Did some some freedom? Diplomacy. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Diplomacy through tomahawks. It it's it's a great kind. Um, yeah, it really is. It's, but it's, but it's, but short of, short of the jokes, um, it 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 definitely does send a message to Iran. Um, you know, obviously it gives the American government and allied governments in the region a position of power to negotiate from in any circumstance, and it definitely makes um, militia groups think twice about taking on rocket attacks and, and conducting um, the various attacks in the region. Granted, that didn't work very well, as we will see in the next um, topic, which I think we can get into now. Um, I was going to which... say before we move on, um, it was really good to see with the B-52 flight today, um, we've actually got a photo um, of the Israeli F-15s escorting it, and it's worth remembering this is the first time that the B-52s have come over since Israel has been formally sort of uh, co-joined into US Central Command operations, because um, that obviously occurred a couple of weeks ago, uh, that change. Um, and they're now fully involved in U.S. Central. Yeah, and that definitely gives them a, a better ability to operate with U.S. forces in the region. Um, it just streamlines stuff and allows the U.S. to incorporate Israeli elements into stuff like airstrikes and, of course, escort duty. Um, it just gives us that that extra sort of power in the region and definitely gives commanders sort of easier integration with Israeli forces. So moving on to the next topic, um, obviously uh, <laughs> those those deterrent factors uh, sort of didn't exactly work um, precisely that well as last week, or sorry, a few days ago, um, there was a rocket attack on Ain al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, um, a base that had earlier seen um, last year, uh, an Iranian ballistic missile attack, and has been fairly uh, on and off attacked by um, Iranian-backed uh, Iraqi militias for uh, the, the past few years. Um, but this was a fairly large attack, um, 10 uh, in direct fire, as the OIR spokesman would like to call Christ. it, um, oh my rockets. God. Um, 
uh, hit the base. Um, one uh, U.S. contractor was um, or died from a heart attack during the attack, but it's it's fairly easy to say that he died from the attack. But the official line from um, the OIR um, office and from the U.S. government was that he died from a heart attack during the attack. Um, so we just have to say that that is what the line from the government is right now. Um, it uh, happened at on uh, March 3rd um, at 7.20 a.m. Iraqi time. Um, and currently, from what we believe, um, the missiles that targeted the base were Iranian-made. Um, and they were 127 millimeter artillery rockets. We also have um, pictures of the launch vehicle, which you can uh, see on the screen right now. It's quite interesting that because it's you know it's um, a truck in which uh, you know bed moves up and down, and it, it's I must say the ingenuity behind. It. It's it's quite a common design that we've impressive. actually. It's a fairly common design we've seen before. It's it's just a false bottom um, truck with with of course that lifting mechanism. And and you're right, it is yeah. fairly ingenious and and allows them to sort of position a, a fairly large launch vehicle um, close to any U.S. positions without the U.S. easily detecting it. Yeah, and um, obviously they destroyed it in the process, but they got some uh, shots off nevertheless. Yeah, and, and it, it did seem like there was some damage on the base. Um, and we, we're unsure right now whether or not these were more advanced missiles supplied by Iran to um, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. We do know that Iran has some new generation 127mm um, artillery rockets that um, would allow them to cause a lot of issues at a U.S. base. Um, and that's that's something we definitely are are that the local government and um, U.S. forces will be looking into. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, the first time that the space has been targeted, and either to say it won't be the last time either. Nope, obviously not. It is, um, it is a large central focus for U.S. forces in the region, and it it operates sort of as a. And has operated for the past, you know, 15 plus years as, as a central hub in the region um, for, for a lot of different operations um, and, and U.S. activities. So, it, it, it's, I mean, obviously it's a target of attention for a lot of these groups. I think targets, when you mention targets, every single United States related bit of infrastructure across Iraq and Syria... Saudi Arabia are currently targets. Oh, definitely. And and as we've seen, um, suicide UAVs targeted at Saudi Arabia. Um, we talked about that, or I talked about that last week. We saw that very clearly. Um, and and just just general, um, we've seen a lot of Iranian action in the region over the past few weeks. Um, you know, the attack on MV Helios Ray with the Limpet Mine. Um, attacked by attacks by Iranian-backed militias in Yemen against Saudi Arabia. Attacked by Ira attacks by Iranian-backed militias in Iraq against U.S. forces and um, regional forces. You know, it, it just it seems to honestly be an escalating focus from Iran against you know general um, 
targets in the region. Yeah, completely agree. And there, there does seem to be a, a pattern of escalation at the moment. You know, I mean, even you can take even the map rockets that are being fired at United States air bases, even the number increasing, and that is a sign of, unfortunately, what I believe is things to come. Very, very that that's very possible to be honest. Um, and and we have seen a lot of. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's um, more aggressive action because the Iranians believe that they can pressure the new administration into a different tact, um, especially with the Biden administration's openness to potentially new um, peace agreements, or if it's just trying to stress the new administration into a position where the Iranians are allowed to act pretty much with uh, impunity. Um, and and so we we sort of have to uh, um, see how the Biden administration responds. Obviously, we've seen one retaliatory strike, which we talked about earlier, um, a strike against a separate group, but very much Iranian affiliated, which was definitely a message against the Iranians. Um, but but we definitely you know we we have to see how that sort of. Uh, how that comes together, I guess, um, between the Biden administration's foreign policy apparatus, the military apparatus, and um, obviously we always forget to talk about how the Iraqi government is sitting in the middle of this and how they are the ones most affected by this. And they, I mean, as I talked about last week, they don't really have the best say in how the Iranians and the U.S. relate in the region. And they also have to balance both powers in a way that is extremely difficult for them. And and we definitely see effects of that um, ongoing. Yeah, and, you know, Iraq is in undoubtedly a very, very difficult, volatile position, as you say, because they've got two superpowers involved in their country inside their borders. And Iraq is the most likely place, aside from Yemen, to be center a geopolitical crisis in which you know i believe we're, we're seeing that at the moment that's set to increase with the uh with the foreign policy of the united states and uh and iran yeah i mean the difference between um iraq and yemen in that regards is iraq is directly bordered by iran and saudi arabia so it it is it is a focal point between those forces yemen on the other hand um you know, there there is a there's a bit of water in between it and um, Iran, which definitely makes Iranian efforts to move weapons into Yemen a bit harder. It's a lot easier for Iran to move weapons into Iraq. It's it's a it's a truck across the border. It, it is not that difficult. Um, which a makes Iraq way more appealing to Iranian-backed militias especially after the events where the U.S. and the Iraqi and the uh, Iraqi government basically invited in um, Iranian weapons, Iranian commanders, um, Iranian-backed troops. And that, that was at a time when basically defeating ISIS was the main focus, and there was really no other focus um, at the time. And now it's basically created situations where you have a country with two very large competing powers, a lot of weapons and a lot of opposed armed groups and the government the central government actually doesn't have control really over the u.s they don't have control over iran and they don't have control over the armed groups and and they really try their hardest in order to 
create a situation where they're technically allied with the U.S. more directly, where they're more directly than they're allied with Iran. But at the same time, Iran has a lot of influence just because of their proximity and actual power in the country. Um, and and you just get this this sort of split. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, you got to feel for Iraq. Really, you have to feel for them. Um, not a situation that any country needs to be in, or nor one. Um, and it's it will be the center of geopolitical focus for years to come. Yeah, it's 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 honestly it's just rough for them, and and I would I would never want to be put in that situation. I mean, it'd be like at the U.S. if if Canada and Mexico were both superpowers, and and both competing on U.S. soil. It it, it just it, it's a really hard situation. Um, for 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 us to for for the Iraqi government to go through, and and yeah. I definitely think that is an element that at least the U.S. is taking into account at this point. Um, that that is an element probably of why the airstrikes were not on Iraqi soil, but on Syrian soil, which is definitely a yeah. difference. Um, but but we'll see going into the future how the U.S. sort of balances those issues. Yeah, one hundred percent. So next on the list is AS. Uh, we have the USS Eisenhower carry strike. So uh, Jordan, do you want to uh, take us through some overview of that one? Uh, yep. Yeah, so US Eisenhower carry strike group's been operating off the coast of Morocco for about a week now, and its seat it was first observed with its C two Greyhounds being picked up by by um, Ocean Technical going into Rota from the carrier strike group. They were noticed, and it's been doing a joint exercise uh, with the Moroccan air. Well, handshake exercise with the Moroccan Navy occurred first, and that was later followed by joint aerial exercises that had um, KC 135s come down from RAF Middenhall to provide um, support for that operation. Yeah. And um, so, and I think, and I believe now it's not far off the Strait of Gibraltar and probably should pass through there tomorrow. Yes, and um, uh, so currently, this definitely from from a broader perspective. Obviously, um, you were just able to. One of the best ways to track carrier strike groups is onboard delivery aircraft, um, which of course are necessary for mail, packages, supplies, um, and, and they usually fly on open transponders. So if you see a C two, it usually is coming from a carrier or going to a carrier, which is definitely a great way to track the position. Um, from a broader perspective, though, um, you know, sort of country on country, this definitely reflects the U.S.'s um, increased attention in Northern Africa um, and in Africa as a whole. As the China, as China continues to exert some influence in the country, um, the U.S. is trying to sort of re-enter into long, long-held alliances. Morocco and the U.S. have been very close allies for a while now. Um, uh, and and we're, we'll definitely see how that sort of evolves into the future as Iraq becomes more of a focus and the or as um Africa becomes more of a more of a global focus. Um, well, like the U.S. can if the U.S. wants to get involved in Africa, it can do th things that China can't. Is for example, right? No nation can compete with China's infrastructure building projects in the particular way that it's done through the Belt and Road. There's re there's really no competition. But the U.S. has the mil has the military has the military assets that really no one can provide, and it can and it can out compete China in terms of security for those countries. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that in the practical U.S. Um, 
boots on the ground for special forces operators. Um, if a country is having, you know, a terrorist issue or a general insurgency issue, you can pretty much expect if they're even slightly allied with the U.S. to um, see U.S. special forces on the ground dealing with that insurgency issue. Um, it's just a way for the U.S. to exert practical, immediate help for these nations. And, and it's it's a combination of that soft power and hard power where it's military assistance in, in the most direct way possible. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing that evolve into the future in Africa will definitely be interesting. I mean, we've already seen how many, you know, C-146s um, in and out of uh, Kenya and, and in and out of Somalia and operating all over Africa at this point um, definitely gives you an indication of how much special operations um, activity there are, is going on in the region. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the U.S. Carrier Strike Group we're not going to say has been trailed by a um, by a Russian kilo class, but there is a Russian kilo class transiting into um, the Mediterranean at around the same time, the, and it has the been Rostov on Don is is the particular kilo class sub. Yes, and it has been hounded for the past few <laughs> days by uh, U.S. P eight Poseidons. Um, honestly it's it's been how many sorties at this point uh eight, i don't ten? know we're looking we're probably looking at, we're looking probably i would say seven or eight now yeah it, it it's a lot of sorties and they've just been it, multiple p8s following this uh sub um, well as we speak right now there is one literally following it on the exit of the street of gibraltar right now tonight <laughs> yeah it's just honestly they are they are making sure this sub didn't try to make a dash to the south um to try to get near the uh, U.S. carrier strike group, um, which which does bring up a, an issue of uh, the the U.S. carrier carrier you know infrastructure actually doesn't have a fixed wing anti submarine warfare aircraft after we require after we retired our S threes, um, so they're sort of reliant on fixed wing P three and P eight um, assets in order to uh, sort of extend out the uh, carriers. Um, uh, actual uh, uh, sphere of ASW influence, um, which is super <laughs> important for ASW exercises and for for ASW operations, is distance is is key. Keeping a sub far away is the best way to keep it from attacking the group. Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. Um, I think, and with that, I believe that might be our list covered, chaps. Yes, I believe. I think it is indeed. Yeah. Um. Obviously, this be this week was big news wise. Um. And we missed out. Um. And we didn't talk about some stuff. Um. From some other regions. If that evolves, obviously, we're always tweeting about it. We're we're trying to follow everything. Um. But the Middle East has definitely taken a lot of our attention from the past week and change. Um. And and we'll we'll see how that evolves into the near future. Um. But we hope next week to be back focusing on more uh, smaller things that have definitely passed people by um, and sort of discover the relationship with uh, other events and, and give, give, give a better overarching view of the situation. Yeah, definitely. And uh, when you say next week, you mean the next... Well, next weeks. next week in my in next week in my news update, I'm definitely going to ah, do yes, some focus. Yes, of course, yeah, and bad. then, of course, two weeks from now, when we do our full next podcast, we will be talking yeah. more about correction. 
hopefully, if everything stays quiet in the Middle East, which by saying that I've probably completely jinxed which it. Which it literally won't now you said that, because you said that last week. Yeah, well, while we've been uh, talking, there's been a few new updates, which I'll, I'll get to momentarily. Oh, you've got to be joking. <laughs> Okay. Oh, for, any, for anyone uh, questioning, we, it is it is currently uh, uh, 8:25 p.m. Uh, GMT. Um, so so for if if there's something big happening, uh, hopefully that that ge- gives people some some idea of when we're recording this. Yeah, and and, and with that, I will uh, I'll bring you uh, just a couple of little news bits from the last uh, two weeks since we last uh, had this podcast. Um, so. Uh, there's been an explosion at a military base in Equatorial Guinea uh, this afternoon. Um, at least 20 people have been killed, um, and there's some pretty uh, shocking scenes at the moment of uh, trucks leaving the base, uh, taking children and civilians uh, to hospital. Um, no word yet as to exactly what's caused those explosions, but obviously the... Um, the, the, the death toll is quite significant and is expected to rise in the coming hours. Uh, Saudi Arabia have just uh, informed the world that a uh, an oil tank yard in the port of Ras Tanura on the Persian Gulf was targeted today by an unmanned aerial vehicle. Um, Yemen's Houthis are believed to have been behind this attack too, um, which has just been the, the latest in a long string of, of, of Houthi attacks against Saudi Arabia this week. Um, as mentioned earlier, we had the uh, B-52 flight um, across uh, to Iraq today. Um, hopefully, uh, Technical will throw a photo up uh, on the podcast for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll have Israeli. images of the flight path and of the aircraft themselves. Of the Israeli F-15s escorting uh, the bombers over uh, Israel. Um, A French politician and billionaire who uh, formerly was uh, a pilot in the French Air Force, Mr. Olivier Dassault, has died today in a helicopter crash. Um, We've got no further info on that yet, um, as it only happened a few hours ago. And uh, the the name Dassault, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe its brother is associated with the aircraft, Dassault. Yeah, um, the, the the family have ties to uh, Dassault Aviation uh, Company, which is obviously one of France's biggest uh, military aviation companies responsible for the Mirage and the Rafale. Um, so that will be a, a story that we will be following in the next couple of days. Um, we've had uh, rumours today leaked in British newspapers about the upcoming UK defence review. Um, oh, obviously, this review, supposed to have, uh, <laughs> this review was supposed to have been released last year. It's now due out uh, in a little over a week's time. Um, we're not going to go into huge detail here about exactly what has been said, but obviously... No, that's please not. It's just depressing. Uh, it is all speculation, um, but it doesn't look good, is, is, is the long and the short of it. Um, and I will, uh, if, if you haven't already read up about it, um, go check out... Uh, Henry Jones on Twitter, um, he did a, a, a thread about it earlier today, which, um, needless to say, left a lot of us feeling very I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll link that in the description of the... Uh... As always, links will be down in the description. Um, 
Beyond that, we've had, uh, obviously, the Pope's visit to Iraq, um, and it was quite fascinating to see uh, Iraqi special forces tasked with protecting him, um, wearing uh, little crosses on their uniforms, um, not something that you would perhaps see uh, were the roles reversed, but there you go. Um, Apaches have gone on board HMS Queen Elizabeth for the first time today as well. Um, as part of preparations for the upcoming uh, Carrier Strike Group 21 deployment. Yes, and, uh, additionally, um, I just wanted to comment, um, just coming across um, my feed at least, um, it seems that the uh, USS Gerald R. Ford um, aircraft carrier is uh, sortieing from Norfolk right now. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure if it's sortieing with a, a CSG. Um, or uh, it, it seems to have a bare top right now, but I'm not exactly sure what it is doing. Um, the Italian aircraft carrier Cavour um, is currently going through certification flights with the F-35 off the coast of Virginia. Um, it's been very interesting to see. Um, U.S. fighters have been simulating attacks and U.S. tankers have been operating with F-35s. Um, they aren't Italian F-35s, of course they are um, American F-35s, but the, they are working on certification with the Italian aircraft carrier. Hmm. Uh, and the uh, one last bit of news uh, from the last week, uh, the UK Ministry of Defence has confirmed that a sergeant of the Welsh Guards was uh, tragically shot dead during a live fire night exercise on the Castle Martin Ranges in Wales. Um, that occurred uh, at about 3.45am on Thursday of uh, this week. Sergeants next to Ken have been informed um, and we are at I believe we're still waiting on uh, details and a name to be released, but an investigation is now on is now. All right, and that 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 seems to be everything uh, for this week. Obviously, I will be back next week. Everyone else will be back in two weeks' time. Um, hopefully, nothing goes on, but I jinxed it ten minutes ago, so expect something huge to happen in the Middle East because you know every time I say nothing's going to happen, something huge ends up happening. But thank you so much for um, joining. We're going to have a few links at the end of the video, um, of course, for additional stuff. Uh, links for anything we mentioned will be down in the description um, with timestamps. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back. I will be back next week. Everyone will be back in two weeks. Thank you so much. See you later.